guys, I'm really excited to be in this movie. I've always wanted to play the monster, and this is great. I get to be this priest who comes into town, and he really, really hates werewolves. So obviously you know that I've got to be the werewolf. I'm always, like, attacking people and killing people who haven't really done anything. So I'm clearly the villain here. What? No, dude. You're not the werewolf. I thought I was the werewolf. Otherwise, why would I be walking around menacingly and creepily all the time? What? Why? Why would my character do that if it wasn't me? I, I think, I think I know it's got to be me. In fact, uh, sorry to break it to you guys, but you're both wrong. I'm the werewolf. I play Valerie's grandmother, and I'm always wearing these furs and jump scaring her and talking creepily about how people smell and always trying to fatten them up. It's got to be me. Oh, I'm starting to wonder if any of us are the werewolf. God, I hope it's not some ridiculous twist like it ends up being her dad or something. Hello, satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my wolfish co-hosts. I'm Jack Olander, an absolutely flawless suitor who knows when it's time to take a step back. Nice. Nice, yes. <laughs> a real Henry type, if you know what I'm saying. Henry Cavill? Oh, I do. <laughs> Oh, I wish. <laughs> and I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a grandmother who just wants to get high in the woods. <laughs> hey, at that point, you've earned it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, if you haven't figured it out by now, this week we'll be talking about Red Riding Hood, the 2011 film directed by Catherine Hardwick. This movie stars Amanda Seyfried, Virginia Madsen, Billy Burke, Julie Christie, Gary Oldman. Yeah. Wow. Shiloh Fernandez, Max Irons. I thought you were going to say Shia LaBeouf. I was like, I didn't see him in the movie. <laughs> oh, that would have been amazing. Or maybe he was the werewolf because he's a fucking cannibal. Uh, I can see that. <laughs> but if he was a werewolf, then he wouldn't be a cannibal, right? It originally wasn't going to be a Red Riding Hood movie, but then Shia LaBeouf came and just started eating people, so we had to CGI a wolf over and it's like the movie made itself. <laughs> Amazing. Let me just let me just finish the cast here real quick, because I got to... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> probably want to move on from that. Uh, Lucas Haas and Max Irons, son of Swords and Satire alumni Jeremy Irons from... At the very least, Dungeons and Dragons and possibly other movies we've watched because Jeremy Irons is in all the fantasy period pieces. Well, he's also a classic period piece fuckboy because he is in all of those movies and shows as like the hot older man. Okay. Who's but, like the love interest. So his son is kind of like not being the fuckboy in this movie. So breaking with like being typecast in his father's shadow. Was he Henry? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's kind of a sweet, thoughtful guy. Yeah. Who's caring. Yeah. Yeah. The better match. But we'll get into that. Real quick. Catherine Hardwick is the director of 
some of the Twilight movies, right? Yes, director of 13, Lords of Dogtown, The Nativity Story, and Twilight. Nice. Amongst other newer films that I've never heard of. Well, before we uh, chow down on the rest of this movie, like werewolves, I think Chelsea has a summary locked, loaded, and ready to go. Yeah. All right, here you go. Here's your summary for Red Riding Hood. So, okay, this movie has a love triangle, right? And there's a... (laughs) At least it wants us to believe that. Okay, I'll buy that. (laughs) And then there's a werewolf attacking the town, so there's the danger involved. But that's not what this movie is really about. This movie is about freedom and having the freedom to choose the trajectory of your life and your own destiny. Wait, it is? <laughs> if you could change your fate, would you? And uh, I'm, I'm pretty content with my fate. <laughs> Me too. So, Red Riding Hood, the character from the classic folk tale, is named Valerie in this movie. And uh, she actually has a family. She has a mother, father, and a young, uh, an older sister. Well, I guess Red Riding Hood always at least has a family because she's visiting grandmother. That's true. One of the few fairy tale characters who has a loving family, <laughs> it seems. And there's a little bit of trouble in this idyllic scene beyond the werewolf attacking them every month. Um, eh, you 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 know it, you learn to live with it, and it's just like hearing gunshots in Oakland. Oh boy! It just fades into the background part of the general ambiance yeah uh so valerie is struggling with a romantic decision throughout the whole movie she is in love with her childhood playmate name who's named peter and he's a dark prince (laughs) not an actual prince no not an actual prince but a dark edgy boy Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's a real hot topic type He's brooding and thin and um, a woodcutter? Yeah. I guess he's kind of like a Hot Topic hipster. (laughs) And then we find out that Valerie is also betrothed to the blacksmith's son, Henry, who's a sweet, caring boy, as we mentioned. Who seems to be into consent. Yes, which is, cool. which is nice. And smart and wise and handsome and kind and strong and talented. And and actually cares about the woman he's betrothed to. But none of that really matters. Cares about her agency more than anything. I mean, That's maybe not more than anything, but specifically cares about her agency and her ability to choose her, her mate. Yeah, he's kind of like a CVS receipt. You know, he's got a lot of substance, but you just throw it away, you know? (laughs) So, at one point, Valerie's older sister, Lucy, is killed by the wolf right before Valerie and Peter are about to elope. And so that keeps them in the town. So selfish of her sister to get killed right before (laughs) Valerie had big plans like that. (laughs) It's just like Lucy, too. I know. Drama queen. So 
Nobody can understand it. Why she was out on Wolf Night, the <laughs> night when they leave, the town leaves a sacrifice out for the werewolf, so it will leave them in peace. But this inspires a group of heroic villagers, including Henry and Peter, to go after this wolf and take it out in its own den. But during this excursion, Henry's father is killed. And these idiots wouldn't know a werewolf from a hole in the ground. <laughs> they think they've killed the werewolf, and they come back to town to start celebrating. Meanwhile, the priest of the town, Father August, has called in a legendary werewolf hunter, Father Solomon. Played oh, by Gary, Gary Oldman. Oldman. <laughs> and he's kind of like a warrior priest, very devout, but also dogmatic and fanatical. Oh, dogmatic, because he's a werewolf hunter, right? Exactly. Um, he doggedly pursues them. <laughs> he tries to convince the town that they've only killed a common gray wolf and the werewolf is still out there. Because when the wolf is killed, it reverts to its human form. But how does he know that? His wife was a werewolf and he chopped off her hand and it turned back to a normal human hand. Jacuse. And then he killed her. And it, he reminds us of that maybe four or five times throughout the movie. Mm hmm So, just so we don't forget, I guess. He's got a reputation to uphold. So, there's a wild celebration scene when the town is like, Nah, fuck Father, Father Solomon. We know we got that wolf. We're going to celebrate tonight. And they... It's much like a pagan revelry scene and we can describe this scene in more detail in the delve oh we will be talking almost exclusively about this scene as we get into this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah party scene's a good scene but the wolf ends up attacking and it turns it corners valerie and starts talking to her it turns out that she can understand it it's kind of like a parcel tongue in harry potter but you know wolf yeah and there's a friend of hers there and she was like, the wolf was just growling, but you were talking to it. What was happening? And so her friend's brother is basically abducted by Father Solomon, and he questions him in a very brutal manner. And so Valerie's friend tries to bargain for his life and gives up Valerie as a witch for talking to the wolf and to trade for her brother. And we get a trial scene where Valerie is accused of witchcraft, which she does not deny. And they decide they're going to put her out as bait for the wolf because she reveals that the wolf wanted her to run away with it and then it would leave the town in peace, which is very strange. Oh, and also she noticed when she was talking to the wolf that it had brown human eyes. So that was important. And suddenly everyone in town is a suspect <laughs> for being the wolf. Yeah. Yeah, just before she's arrested, she starts suspecting everybody in town, both of her potential beaus, her 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 grandmother keeps jump scaring her with while wearing furs. It's very confusing. A lot of zoom in close ups of brown eyes. Yeah. Everybody with like brown eyes, eyes becomes a suspect at that point. But some of her friends, along with her father, work out a way to free her after she's been left out as bait for the werewolf one night. And it gets um, very convoluted after that. It does. After that, um, they, uh, Henry and Peter team up reluctantly after a dick measuring contest yeah. to um, set her free. Henry using his blacksmithing skills as the established son of a blacksmith yeah. to lockpick her out 
And in the ensuing melee and chaos, uh, Father Solomon is bit and killed by the brother of the guy who he killed when the other guy got bit. Huh? <laughs> so, like, Father Solomon kills that one dude. The priest. The other no, 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 but before that. There's, he has two mercenaries who are with him. Oh, yes. He kills one of them after he gets bit because he says a werewolf bite during the blood moon will mean that you become a werewolf. So You're he, cursed. So he kills the brother of the... There's these two mercenary brothers who travel with him. Well, the one that survives is almost like his lieutenant. Yeah. So the lieutenant is really pissed at him and he just tries to tell him, like, we had to. He would be cursed. Yeah, let me let me try to explain it in a way you might understand. He got bit, so he killed him. And then later he got bit, so he killed him. <laughs> exactly. Ironic. <laughs> yeah. So there's a big clusterfuck when yeah. the town tries to use Valerie as bait for the werewolf. They try to run to the church as hollowed ground because the werewolf as, like, a cursed being, can't enter hallowed grounds. Yeah, there's some interesting werewolf lore in this film. Yeah. And uh, they make Kind it... of a werewolf-vampire hybrid. Um, so the werewolf ends up biting Father Solomon, Gary Oldman's character, and that's when his lieutenant kills him for killing his brother, and he's like, I have to do it. You're cursed now. Yeah, you made <laughs> the rules. I'm not... i just following the rules you made up. Oh, that's the voice of his lieutenant. <laughs> and it seems like one of the primary antagonists of Father Solomon is uh, killed because he was actually terrorizing the townsfolk because he suspected it was one of them. And Valerie tries... He was to... a real witch-finder General Hopkins type. Yeah, exactly. Valerie breaks away trying to find Peter because he was lost in the scuffle and she didn't know that he was kind of imprisoned in this torture chamber. The elephant. Yeah, by Father Solomon. He got out. She meets him in the woods on her way to her, see her grandmother to check on her. And uh, she thinks he's the werewolf. She thinks everybody's the werewolf at this point. This movie isn't especially long, but it is especially convoluted. Yeah, so just bear with us here. Wolf uh, with us. <laughs> So she swipes at him with her knife, runs to her grandmother's house, sees her grandmother behind a curtain. This is the classic folklore scene right here. Her grandmother is talking to her from behind a curtain, and she's talking to her about eating the supper and then how everything was going in town and like making sure she's okay. And then something is weird with the shadow behind the curtain, and it gets really large and imposing, and suddenly a male voice starts talking to her. And then her father emerges, and it turns out he killed his own mother, and it's he's the werewolf, the big reveal. And he can, like, kind of do a hybrid form of transformation where he can, doesn't fully transform into a wolf, but he can modulate his voice and change his eyes around and become super strong. We'll call it wolfing out. Yeah. And it turns out that Peter stuck around because he's loyal like that, like a dog. Oh, damn. <laughs> and he f helps fight off her father, who's trying to get Valerie to come away with him so they could, he could turn her into a werewolf and they could go terrorize the countryside together. Oh, that sounds kind of nice. 
It is kind of sweet, but he is also a sociopath. That's true. So Peter has a showdown with the dead. They have a scuffle. Valerie tricks her father into coming closer to her, saying she has a gift for him when it seems like he's about to best Peter. And he falls for her trap. She was gonna, she just had something covered in a basket and she was like gonna reveal it. But then, yeah, Peter throws the axe in his back. Classic woodsman move. Then it turns out Peter was bitten in the scuffle by her dad, which during the blood moon, which means he's gonna turn into a werewolf and he has to leave so that he can control it before he and Valerie can be together. So she was not cool with her dad being a werewolf, but she seems totally down to just be with Peter if he's a werewolf. There seems to be no problem there. And there's like these weird dreamlike scenes where he's leaving, but then they're in the woods together, sexing it up. And then they're also climbing a mountain and her red cloak is like three or four times the length it was throughout the rest of the movie. She has a very special, very common magic item, the cloak of indeterminable length. (laughs) Very practical magic item. Every party has one. Yeah. It it could be so many cool things, like a blanket. Or a uh, parachute. Nice. Or slip and slide. Uh, bedspread. Yeah. Tent. One of those Chinese dragons where other people stand under the back. Yep. Nice. Yep. All good uses of a long cloak. So, Indeterminably long. Yeah. So eventually, after this fever dream that happens at the end of the movie... Peter comes back, and she smiles at him very seductively, and then the movie ends. Uh, yeah. (laughs) There you go. Well, that was nice and concise. (laughs) There's no way to do concise of this movie, even though it was short. (laughs) Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Red Riding Hood. So guys, why don't we start by talking a little bit about werewolf lore in this film. We know we don't know a whole lot about werewolves at the start, but the people of town have an idea about how werewolves work, and they seem to be right about pretty much all of them. Oh my god, I totally forgot when you were doing the summary, Chelsea that one of the things that Valerie uses to kill her dad is the hand of Father Solomon, who had silver fingernails. Oh my God. Silver spiked fingernails. And she has the hand of Father Solomon in her picnic basket. And (laughs) and she uses it to stab her father in the chest while Peter hits him in the back with the woodcutting axe. Oh my God. That's so crazy. (laughs) You really gotta wonder why he settled for self-mutilation with the silver fingernails rather than getting like a glove with silver claws on it. He's like, no, I'll fucking rip my fingernails out. And implant silver chips. Yeah. That is wild. I didn't even consider that point. <laughs> Holy you, shit. You're I, like, oh, yeah, you're really smart. 
I would have just cut my hand off and placed a big silver spike on my <laughs> Be like fucking Needleman from Mega Man 3. Just two yeah, gigantic, impractical, like, lightning rods for hands. No, boy. Oh, dude. I had to impale my wife and everyone I loved, and now I go town to town spiking werewolves. <laughs> Okay. I don't know how we forgot about the fucking silver fingernails. I know. So the town seems to have struck a bargain with the werewolf. In the beginning, we see that they leave an offering of a goat out for the werewolf once a month during the full moon. And they hide in their houses and they call this wolf night. And it seems like for many years, this setup worked for the town and the wolf seemed to leave them in peace if they gave him offerings. But I want to know how they figured that out. Like, they couldn't communicate with him. Only members of his own family can communicate with him as we learn. Yeah, I mean, but I guess um, Valerie's father, Cesar, I mean, he in wolf form seems to retain his human intelligence. Yes. So I guess he was just like, no, this is fine. I just want to eat the goat. It does not make any fucking sense because... If he has human intelligence, why doesn't he just control himself in wolf form and not go murder people and just go, like, run around and howl at the moon and, like, just do cool wolf shit? Yeah. But instead, like, he's got some kind of bloodthirst that extends to, like, murdering his own family. Yeah, a big part of his intentions were a revenge plot where he found out that one of his daughters was born from a different father right like a different biological father it turned henry's out to be father henry's father who had the hots for valerie's mother oh wait so that meant that the sister's crush on henry was incestuous as well yeah which that's is why she couldn't marry him and that's why cesar said that like kind of what happened was for the better that's how he figured out that she wasn't his daughter because he tried to talk to her while he was in wolf form and she didn't understand him yeah, that's right. So he tells his not daughter, I suppose. That's the way he might put it's it. It's not up, though, because he raised her from when she was an infant. Like, yeah, Basi- non biological. Basically, his justification for why he did it was he was overcome with rage in the moment while he was in wolf form and killed her because of that. Like, he kind of implies that he did not want to kill Lucy. Yeah, I think that's true. I think he did say that. But that, that, like, the realization that his wife had cheated on him, I guess, was enough to drive him to rage. And he went and scratched his wife across the face and neck, too. Yeah. After that. That's right. He does. So he's an abuser, and he's trying to justify it with just being unable to control himself. And he murders Henry's dad, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but that was even before he knew... No, that was af- that was after he knew... That was after Lucy died. Oh, right, that's right. Yeah. But uh, also, yeah, like, like we're kind of implying, he values bloodlines, right? Yeah. A lot of people... I think Solomon mentions, like, oh, dude, this werewolf is a Chad, right? <laughs> yeah. This werewolf, it comes from a long bloodline, to be sure. And so I think that sort of thing was probably really important to Cesar. Yeah. And yeah, when he speaks to her and she can't respond, he doesn't take it well. And a big part of the movie is him like in wolf form trying to convince Valerie, like, let's just get out of town. Let's beat it, you know? 
And then he kind of reveals at the end, like, let's move to a big city where we can eat people all the time. It's a bigger hunting ground. And I'm like, okay. So his entire motivation is just hunger, right? Or uh, just uh, some bloodthirst. I guess that's why the goat works. He also it's the biggest meal he gets every month. He also yeah. talks about deserving more respect and tribute. So I think he wants more than just a goat. Yeah, he seems to think that, uh, or he seems to believe that werewolves are like a superior form of being. Yeah, who deserve to kind of be like gods. Yeah, or or just like rulers of their regions. Right, their territory. Oh yeah. <laughs> but so throughout the whole movie, Valerie is driven by the desire to be able to choose her own fate. And she doesn't want to be forced to run away with her father. I mean, she was going to run away with Peter, but that was her choice. Right. And she doesn't want to be forced to marry somebody that she doesn't love or isn't attracted to, even though it might mean security for her life because his family is rich. Henry's family is rich. And that's what her whole family basically tries to convince her of, that the security of marrying well, I say in air quotes, supersedes any happiness she might have. And her mother specifically says that her and Valerie's father were part of an arranged marriage and that they, quote, learned to love each other. Right. Which, you know, is debatable as the film goes on and we kind of see how their relationship plays out because the reality is that Valerie's mother cheated on her husband. So she, you know, wasn't, at least at one point, was not fully committed to the relationship and still had a similar drive as Valerie to be with the person that she actually cared about. Yeah. Oh, Valerie, I love, I came to love your father, but Henry's dad was looking like a snack. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> well, if Henry, Henry's good looks had to come from somewhere. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, he's not my type, but. No. He's kind of a Jeremy Irons type. <laughs> He's he, neither one was my type, but he was more my type than Peter was. Yeah, they both had way too much hair to be your type. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Henry was just like a person and then Peter <laughs> was just like a poster model that was come to life <laughs> hot topic model and I, i'm like oh yeah a hot topic poster that took on human <laughs> they form. were like a, a hot topic model and an ll bean model in a way yeah in a way he was kind of like a god yeah right <laughs> by this i mean he was like the personification of an ideal like a right. concept right yeah yeah so that's peter <laughs> <laughs> he was a moody broody boy yeah who Ha always had gel in his hair and it was all spiky yeah oh man they didn't have gel back then so like that was probably like grease lard oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah or like bacon bacon grease demonic semen demonic uh, semen <laughs> he always would smell really bad but maybe that's what valerie likes no <laughs> that's why she thought he was the wolf his pungent smell she she wants the freedom to choose where she goes in her life, who she lives her life with. It's all understandable. It's anachronistic, but... Um, well, not necessarily. I mean, wanting those things oh, isn't yeah, necessarily Oh, yeah, but getting them, because in the end, she does get those things. Yeah, 
She seems to, yeah. That's another thing, though. I was thinking about it being anachronistic, and I'm like, so I keep assuming this is back in, like, maybe the 15 to 1700, somewhere in there, 15, 1600. I think that's a fair assessment. I keep looking at everything in the film, and it just keeps not lining up. Oh, what, like like the mom's fishnet shawl? Yeah, exactly, (laughs) like that. Just all the outfits and personalities and the levels of technology and the amount of ethnic diversity. Well, that was cool, though. I liked that. I liked all of it, but the more all that sort of stuff kept popping up and, like, all the fashion and makeup and everything, I was just like, I don't think this is Earth. I can't (laughs) pinpoint a time that this is. I mean, to be fair, if you told me that this movie took place in The Village from The Village... But, like, after they had found out about, like, civilization outside in the modern world and that they just kind of, like, moved into this mountain town to wear old-timey clothes but still had all come from more modern origins, I would not be surprised. Or that they had, like, learned about, like, raves and fishnet shawls and all this other, all the other modern trappings. Like... Rave, uh, you say? (laughs) Maybe we should start talking about the party scene. Oh, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> oh, but, dude. But also, like, Peter's outfit is, like, skinny jeans with, like, a yeah. a black, like, pirate, like, flouncy top and, yeah. like, a, a jaunty red sash. Yeah. Like like Jack said, I mean, he looks like a fucking Hot Topic model. Yeah. It's, like, it's if wild. this movie took place in the modern day in, at, like, a Renaissance fair... It, you you would not surprise me by telling me that. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the rave scene because <laughs> as soon as the scene kicked in with the like EDM music yeah. and and like this kind of like chanting dr- like electronic drumming like tribal I don't know. I don't, I don't know really dance cool. music uh, yeah. genres very well. No, it was awesome. And the scene was great. And as soon as it kicked in, I was suddenly obsessed with this movie. I know. I want the whole movie to be like that scene. There, like, <laughs> are, there's a woman in this crazy, like, giant headdress who's, like, the well, lead. That was, like, a bunch of antlers and yeah. other uh, twigs and she stuff. She looked like the lead singer of High Lung. Yeah, kind of. And she yes. was she was chanting kind of like that. It was almost like they were like, "Oh, let's get a sound that's kind of like High Lung, but not them." And <laughs> yeah, it's like a folk metal EDM band is playing, and the people are just like going sick house in a way that like a culture that has like a culture from this ostensible time period that had any social mores would not behave this way i know they were a kind of a staid christian town and like i mentioned in the summary was like a pagan revelry yeah it was like the rave scene from the matrix but actually way better (laughs) (laughs) yeah kind of they all had these masks on which was really cool yeah and it's so moody and just like atmospheric and the music is drinking and dancing and raving (laughs) yeah i love this scene i could talk about this scene all day (laughs) it was wild yeah 
<laughs> yeah, also, there's a bunch of performers at the party as well. That's right. Yeah, it's what, what so were, cool. Who was it? I forget who they are. One of the people who got seized by the guards pulled a tarot card out from behind one of the guards' ears. That was um, Valerie's friend's younger brother. Yeah. yeah. Who eventually gets... Jackson. tortured to yeah. death yeah <laughs> wasn't there someone doing some like crazy anachronistic dancing yeah yeah there was somebody doing it was like nearly break dancing wasn't it there was somebody doing like the fire twirling like the, yeah. the fire oh, on yeah. a chain or on a rope yeah i know exactly what you're saying yeah like a fire performer yeah and they were doing they were all drinking and passing out and like doing all these dances that are very anachronistic they're they're like time out of space and time actually because those dances don't belong to any time period <laughs> dude this village is where all the people taken by skinwalkers go to <laughs> dude yes it's in some pocket dimension infinite forest outside of space time yeah oh so okay okay so again like this is so out of place for the time period it's supposed to exist in because this is people expressing emotions and having fun in a public setting so completely anachronistic <laughs> but we've got to talk about the piece de la resistance of this scene is when valerie sees peter dancing with another woman because mm -hmm. peter has been told to leave her be by so he his family her. so he tries to like put the kibosh on their relationship she sees him dancing with this other woman so Valerie grabs one of her friends, her lady friends, and goes out and does like sexy lesbian dancing in front of Peter to try to make him, make jealous? him jealous. Yeah. And it's like, first off, that is not gonna make him jealous. <laughs> that is <laughs> this might have the effect that she was hoping to some extent, but <laughs> I don't I don't buy that he is going to be upset to see this performance by her. I know, I was her. like, oh, is she trying to entice him over? But then she was looking at him kind of antagonistically. And But this was like <laughs> something that would happen in like like Cruel Intentions right. or yeah, yeah. like one of those 90s like this, that's yeah. what this movie is. This is a 90s modern romance or like t a high school love story set in a medieval werewolf be a uh, medieval village beset by werewolves this is like ginger snaps in a medieval setting yeah yeah also to get the courage to go out and dance with her friend she pulls the tankard out of a dude's hand who's walking by takes a huge swig of his beer i assume it wipes it wipes the drizzle off her mouth right with the back of her hand and then hands him the cup back and pushes him away <laughs> That was pretty incredible. Yeah. I'm like, oh, dude, Valerie is crazy. <laughs> but she's so assertive. It's pretty good. Yeah. She, yeah, it's entertaining to see. So, I mean, yeah, it's fun because this movie just feels out of place in the setting it's in. But that kind of made me really like parts of it. And I know. It made it interesting. And I'm not surprised that it didn't do very well it's got terrible reviews online oh it is absolute trash but i had so much fun watching yeah it. it's like fun trashy yeah film and like i feel like i mean the director and the people making it must have known right that they're making like this anachronistic 
trashy romance story. Well, knowing that the director worked on Twilight makes a lot of sense for this. Sure, yeah. (laughs) So if I'm just looking at the character Peter, he's like the Twilight movies were put in a person. (laughs) 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 And just unleashed into this movie. All right, let's talk about it. It's just like the general, like, non-emotion he has. Like, he's very stoic, but in kind of like a moody emo way, you know? Like, he seems a lot like the late 90s kind of goth uwu, <laughs> rar XD, <laughs> Evanescence, you know, kind of yes. fan. Yes! Yeah, yeah. Totally. Where it's like, I'm pretty sure, and I'm not recalling any specific scene, but in my mind... At any point she's speaking or something is happening, he's staring off screen into the horizon. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. He's got a thousand yard stare most of the time. It's like one of those guys you'd see in a teen movie, exactly like you guys were saying, a teen romance, where you just see him in the corner in his all black staring out at the horizon and you just think, oh, he must be deep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's him. Exactly. And I I gotta say, I gotta give him credit, right? I Like, he's a fun character. I enjoyed him, right? Yeah. But I really gotta give him credit. He's so loyal yeah. to, to Valerie. He is. In the very beginning, in the first scene, they're little kids. And Valerie is like, come on, right? And they go and they catch a rabbit. And she hands him a knife. And she's like, slit its neck, Peter. <laughs> Right? And he's just like, oh, shit, I don't want to do that. And she's like, here, I'll do it then. And then Peter is kind of like a little traumatized, it seems like, as a kid. But cut to when they're kind of young adults, and he's still crazy about her, right? Yeah. And he's immediately ready to run away with her. And then when she gets betrothed, you know, he kind of takes a step back. But it's because he's trying to give her the life that she wants, right? Or he thinks that she deserves Yeah, so that's just another sign of his loyalty because he's willing to sacrifice his own happiness for hers. Right. For her stability, at least. Yeah. And so time and time again, he's just kind of like putting her before anyone else. Like, I'm sure he's a great person to have around. Yeah. So I see that for him. Um, I'm just thinking about the scene after the dance scene Jamie was talking about and um call it what it is a rave yeah but when valerie is trying to like get his attention with that with dancing with her friend mm-hmm. after the the sexy lesbian dance yeah after the song ends i think he kind of grabs her and he's like what are you trying to do and <laughs> were you trying to turn me on <laughs> <laughs> and she's like well what were you doing with uh so and so you don't even like her and he's like, I don't have to like her to get what I want from her. And she's like, I don't. Oh, dude. I know, it's so bad. Yuck. And she's like, I don't believe you. That's not what you really think. And then she's like, I know that you want me. It was just like, oh, this does feel like, you guys hit the nail on the head. It does feel like a high, edgy high school romance from yes. the 90s. And then they almost fuck. Yeah. Then he's like, I can eat you up. <laughs> like a wolf. Oh, Oh, no. uh, and then he like lays her down on a pile of hay <laughs> in
So there's so many buildings in this movie. Oh my god, we've got to talk about the buildings. The characters run through so many buildings that have these weird fence walls that all swing open. Oh my god, the spikes! We didn't even mention the spikes, Oh, we're gonna talk about the spikes. Yeah, like... Okay, there are just so many buildings that seem to have no purpose <laughs> in the town, and their architecture is beyond human understanding, right? <laughs> yeah. Everything has spikes. Like, it, it's like building a log cabin, but every log has got a stake at the end of it. Yeah, and there are people just in these buildings, right? Yeah. Like when when Peter lays her <laughs> down in this scene, right? Yeah. And they're making out. It's getting a little steamy. He's unlacing her corset, right? Mm-hmm. Henry is like, do you know? He's passing by one of these unknowable buildings. <laughs> he just kind of peeks in, right? Yeah. He's like, duh, my fiance is doing what, right? Yeah. And then there are two guys on the second floor of this building, which I don't know why it has a second floor. That is even more unknowable than the first floor. And and the way people can see around corners and through to other people is very unclear as well. It's like, just movie convenience. They can see him, but they can't see who he was macking on. And he tells her to, like, he like puts her back together and tells her to go out and then he goes to see those other people on the second floor and then henry can watch them but also be concealed at the same time it's very confusing i'm just thinking to myself this building does not have walls the the <laughs> the walls are like a grid of logs there's windows like six inch windows every few inches this whole thing is open <laughs> You're just having sex in public. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. I, just, I just want to mention, like, after describing these indescribable Lovecraftian houses, that outside of Valerie's grandmother's house, who lives deep in the woods, the trees are filled with spikes. Like, somebody drove five foot long spikes through every single tree in the forest and all around them like spiraling up to the canopy and it's like they're thorn bushes but they're trees it's crazy it is unlike anything i've ever seen before and i am so all about it (laughs) (laughs) so the forest all of the unknowable buildings and the hair was so spiky in this movie. <laughs> Everything was spiky. And like anything that they could add spikes to, they put the spike on it. The hair of the wolf was also very spiky. It was. I think yeah. that was just low low quality CGI. But <laughs> yeah, the the spike trees gave me big the ritual vibes. Oh yeah, yeah. For the listeners who are unfamiliar with it. The Ritual is a Netflix horror movie, and here's it's a spoiler. what you call a good movie. Yes, it's true. That's not the <laughs> well, spoiler. Whoa, whoa, we're not allowed we'll to tell talk you that about good free. movies. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. This is a great movie. The monster in The Ritual picks people up and impales them through tree branches. So this just seems like a forest that was made exactly for that. <laughs> but we never get to see anyone impaled on the tree spikes. I know. Real yeah, missed opportunity. Missed, yeah, they missed an opportunity there. Didn't they ever read uh, about Chekhov's tree spikes? <laughs> exactly. 
Jack, I love your description of these buildings as unknowable because it's like, it's so true. Inside all of them, it's just like, how did they construct this? Why it, did they construct it? It's like, almost like in the inside of each building is an M.C. Escher painting. Like, I don't understand. It's so true. So at the very beginning, Chelsea saw this town just in the middle of the woods with no like clear water source or whatever. And it just seemed like a bizarre location for a town. Chelsea was like, oh, that's cool. Just a town in the middle of these mystical woods. I like that. But I'm trying to think of why someone would settle right there because it wasn't clear to me. But I know why now. These buildings just happened there, right? (laughs) They're naturally occurring. Yeah. Yeah. And then the villagers started building around them and they're like, I guess this is the town. But then we the, live the here new, now. The new building started taking on the characteristics of the original structures. <laughs> An infection. <laughs> so it's slowly spreading through the forest. Yep. And that's why uh that's why Cesar wants to take his daughter out of there. He's like, This place is unnatural. <laughs> and then yeah. We gotta get out of here. So you're saying that he's just a loving father who's trying to look out for the safety of his of his daughter? I figured out what this is. We have to run. <laughs> Please let me make you a wolf. You might survive. So I want to make sure that we spend at least a little bit of time talking about some of the important themes of the film, which are personal agency, of course, that we've touched on. Yeah. And also the inevitable underlying class themes that run through the film. Like class struggle? Yeah, like a struggle between different classes. Okay. Yeah. I think I understand what you're saying. So the first part, the personal agency part, we again, we've touched on this, but, you know, there's a line that Valerie says, because of the arranged marriage, arranged to be married to Henry, mm-hmm. feels like she's being sold. Yeah. And she receives like a bracelet from Henry as a gift. She's given a her iconic red riding cloak from her grandmother. Yeah. These are all kind of like early wedding presents from people. She does not appreciate this. She feels like she is being stripped of her ability to choose what she wants to do with her life, who she wants to be with. She doesn't have autonomy. She's just a bargaining chip. Yeah, exactly. She's supposed to unite these two families to kind of raise up her family's standings. Mm -hmm. There's also a very weird situation with Henry's grandmother, it seems like. Yeah. Played by great actress who plays Dolores Herbig on Dead Like Me. Dead Like Me. She also plays the psychiatrist on the first or maybe the second season of The X-Files. Yes. Um, But yeah, like, she has this weird dialogue where she's kind of, like, saying that she wants Henry to marry Valerie, not... And she's kind of, like, glad that Lucy died because she says Valerie's the pretty one and all this really gross, disturbing stuff. While she's stroking her face. Yeah, it's very it, uncomfortable. It kind of reminded me of how, like, a lot of times people will internalize their own oppression so much that they become the ones 
who pass that oppression on to other people in their social standing. Yeah, right. And and so they perpetuate um, their own subjugation. Yeah, exactly. So, like, this happens in a lot of cultures where uh, women will try to uphold traditions that contribute to their own subjugation, but it's kind of thought that sticking to these norms and traditions is the only way for them to have a life in the society. Right. It makes sticking to those societal norms makes one's life easier because people who break outside of that are often subjugated maybe in more direct ways. Ostracized or even exiled. Or worse. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting addition to the film, but I wasn't sure exactly what the grandmother's motivation, Henry's grandmother's motivation was supposed to be in saying these things, other than just kind of being catty and mean. Yeah. So, Solomon, right? Yeah. Father Solomon. He immediately takes charge of the town when he rolls in because he has military might. Yes. Right? Yes. He has the name of the church at his back. He has military might, and he kind of like you said, weaponizes fear to take over. He's also got a guy in full plate mail who is just always holding a crossbow at the townspeople, even when Solomon is just, like, introducing himself. This dude is standing there with his crossbow held at the public for no reason. That guy's a real American, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So to your point, Jack, Father Solomon has wields several different types of power. He holds a higher station in the church. So he has that rank of authority there. Authority from rank. And like you said, he has the military might. He also is obviously economically well off or well funded because he does he is able to hire all these mercenaries. They have all this equipment. He is well dressed and so are his daughters who are traveling with him, which seems really dangerous. But uh yeah. Also, we have no idea why he's coming to this town. They, but it's like everyone knows he's on his way. No, no, no. Uh, Father August said he summoned him. Oh, but why? Because he's a renowned werewolf hunter. Oh, okay. The timeline's very confusing then. I thought that everything in the movie happened in like a matter of days. I think it's supposed More to or be less. weeks. But... Okay. That was oh, not yeah. clear in yeah, the film. Perhaps. No. So the main point I wanted to drive home, yeah, that was half of it, right? He has all these different kind of powers, right? So he's pretty firmly in his position. But one of the ways I see him abusing his power, right? Maybe not abusing, but kind of trying to wiggle his way free of his own rules. When one of his mercenaries gets bitten by a werewolf, the mercenary's brother is like, oh, dude, please don't kill my brother right (laughs) you know pretty reasonable request yeah solomon's like sorry dude a man bitten's a man cursed (laughs) yeet and then he stabs him right Right. yeah yeah and then he's like oh all right i'm pretty not happy about that solomon but all right you're yeah you're in charge you know how this works okay but then when solomon gets bitten like we said earlier it's kind of the role reversal where Solomon has the sword to his throat and the mercenary is like, Hey dude, a man bitten's a man cursed. And Solomon is like, Oh, you don't have to kill me though. 
And he's like, yo, why? Right. <laughs> why don't I have to do that? He's like, think about it. You'll make an orphan of my children. And then the mercenary's like, dude, my brother had kids too. You're not getting out of it, right? Stab. Yeah. Yep. Stab. Hunt, get nay-nayed, Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that also a chapter in the Bible? Get nay-nayed, Solomon. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in that scene, he kind of tries to say, like, oh, other people who get bitten, they have to die. But when it's me, you know, you're not actually going to kill me, right? Right. I was like, oh, dude. I mean, that is a yes. I, I completely agree. That is a scathing indictment of the upper classes in, in our own society who believe that rules should only apply to those below them, but that they should be able to flaunt them in any way they want. They should never have to feel the repercussions for the laws that they create. Right. Because nobody really yeah. knows for sure how, va how vampirism. This movie's werewolves remind me of vampires in a lot of ways. They're like not allowed to be in the sun or go on holy ground. Yeah, that's true. So they nobody really knows for sure how werewolfism or lycanthropy passes on except that father solomon says oh it's on a blood moon if you get bit just trust me i know it that's the rule but then yeah when he gets bit the rule changes well i don't the rules don't apply to me i'm better than all of you don't i you, made the rules don't you understand you can't use the rules against me when i make them yeah so i mean just like powerful wealthy or politically powerful people in our own society they never want the repercussions of things to come back on themselves when the tables turn right yeah definitely also another just quick reason why this can't be an earth setting but <laughs> people are definitely from earth <laughs> they are human arguably yeah is because Solomon uses this iron elephant torture device, right? Where he stokes a fire underneath it and he throws someone inside the hollow body cavity and closes a trap door so they get cooked alive inside, charcoal, right? It's, ba it's basically a human-sized oven. oven shaped like an elephant. Yeah, and he mentions it's an old Roman torture device. Mm -hmm. So we know that Rome is something that people know about, but... It's also in a world with knife trees and <laughs> blood moons that last three days. And wane. They wa <laughs> wax is full and wanes, right? Yeah, good point. And that normally takes like a month, right? Yeah. A full month. But it's three days. And a lunar eclipse normally only lasts a few hours at best. Yeah. Well, they explain so. it. Yeah, they, they say that the red planet lines up with the the moon and the earth yeah and what's that red planet you're right jack yeah what in the hell are they what are they talking well, that's about that's a little planet called mars the place where john carter goes oh yeah virginia worked on the movie remember but um <laughs> <laughs> but that's another thing that you just brought up the fact they know about mars and the movement of planets, right? They pull out this weird steampunk solar <laughs> system thing that when you light a candle in the sun, it starts spinning around like I, the movement of the planets. I don't remember. Was the sun the center of the 
universe on their model, or was it the Earth? Oh, it was the sun. Wow, yeah. I mean, these people have advanced scientific understanding then. My brain melted and dribbled out my nose onto the ground when I saw Except that. all of the heavenly bodies were the same size, so what's up with that? Well, that's just because it's a different universe. It's a different okay, universe. Okay, there you go, yeah. there you go. So it's a heli- it's a, it's a, it's a Earth where heliocentrism has been discovered. Yes. But they don't know enough about planetary bodies to know that planets are different sizes. Mm-hmm. Also, another thing I want to quickly bring up, right? On the idea of freedom, right? Freedom to choose your own way in life. Yep. Is, uh... She's always been a rebel, right? With <laughs> she rebels. questionable, yeah, with questionable morals, right? Yeah. In the very beginning, as a little kid, she's like, "I must slit this bunny's neck," right? <laughs> yeah. And Peter's just like, "Oh, dude, you freaky," <laughs> right? Yeah. And she's kind of hiding this from the rest of the village. Right. She's definitely doing something she's not supposed to. So she's been a rebel her whole life. And then as an adult, she kind of pulls Peter away from his job by stealing his axe so he can't do his work. Mm-hmm. And then they're kind of rolling around flirtatiously out in the woods. And they agree after little to no conversation. Let's run away from the forest and make a life together. Just you and me, right? Yeah. And they're about to do it, but they get distracted. So they call it off. What basically... All we know about the character so far is that she doesn't get along with most of the people in the village. She feels like she ha- is an outsider. I think that's because that she's she- a strong, independent woman. Yeah, she's ready to cast aside her whole life in the whole village. She is a little ruthless, right? Mm-hmm. And when the wolf asks her, like, hey, let's get out of here, right? Uh, let's, let's go. Yeah. You know, I'll make, I'll make you strong, right? It's a very good offer. At least the first time he presents it to her, it seems like he's very polite and it seems like a very good offer. He's, he's charismatic. And it's that wolfish grin. Exactly. And she's like, no, never. Right. I'm like, yo, what do you mean? No, never. That's like exactly your personality. You're so like, right. They, like she kept, she was like, no, like the idea of running away or doing this bad thing or just this wolf in general are all negative things, repulsive, in fact. And everything I've learned about her up until this point is telling me that she would say yes to that offer. That is so true. I picked up on that as well. The, for the second half of the movie, when she was fighting against the wolf, I was so perplexed. It seemed like the kind of thing she would embrace. Yeah. I mean, the first thing we see her do is, I mean, that we know she does off screen is slit a bunny's throat. Yeah. She has a ruthless streak. She wants to, like, have freedom. Becoming a werewolf seems like the most logical choice for her. It is such an odd decision to not have her just go full wolf. And when the werewolf is talking to her for the first time, she seems completely enchanted by it and by the idea of becoming like him. And then she rejects it later. It's just like, what is going on? Yeah, totally. And then when she finds out that it's a person with brown eyes, right? 
she's realizing basically all of her loved ones, everyone who cares about her, dearly has brown eyes, right? (laughs) And could be the wolf. She isn't like, okay, the wolf cares about me, so I I should feel safe around it, right? Right. We can speak to each other. And it wants to run away with me, which means, like, we are fond of each other. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And it's not dangerous to me. It's one of the few people in town who actually wants something to do with me. Right. And she's scared shitless and revolted by it the entire time. But it's to the point where all the people who love and care about her, she's just like, ew, stay away from me. You're dangerous. You're scary. And I'm just like, yo, (laughs) (laughs) this is you. You should be convincing everyone to side with the wolf. Oh, dude. Well, guys, since we're talking about wolves and all that stuff, why don't we move on to evil, stupid, or misunderstood? This is evil, stupid, or misunderstood. The part of the show where we take a look at the principal antagonists of the movie and determine if they were evil all along, or maybe they were really just stupid all along, or have they been misunderstood all along? <laughs> so, guys, who's the villain here? So, I would say the two most obvious answers are there are two villains Dos Huevos, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Solomon and the wolf, right? Okay. Yeah. For Solomon, I would say partially it's misunderstood, right? Because he has a tragic backstory that makes him hate werewolves. And it was his dead wife, so it especially hit close to home. And now his whole life is kind of just him hell-bent on revenge against these unholy beasts, right? Okay. Right. I would say that that definitely made him evil because he's needlessly ruthless on other people. Yes. Mm -hmm. And... He is definitely a fear monger. Like you said, he's basically just a fascist at this point, right? Yeah. So for him, I'm probably going to guess misunderstood and evil. I wanted to say something about that real quick. I think you're totally right about the evil part. He was definitely abusing his power. It's something you touched on before, and I wanted to delve deeper into it. I mean, he is terrorizing the townsfolk. And browbeating them basically calling them ignorant all the time and he takes people and tortures them when he has no real reason to think they know who the werewolf is he he kind of treats every single townsperson like a suspect and like they are harboring this werewolf that's terrorizing them right they're the victims and this is like the ultimate case of victim blaming yeah He's basically taking advantage of these people. Yeah, if you actually look at it, he's kind of responsible for almost the same amount of villager deaths as the wolf. Yeah. Yes. That's a great point. (laughs) He is a monster himself. He had to become a monster to hunt the monsters. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yo, that's deep. (laughs) Maybe he's a little bit misunderstood because he feels like he has to protect his girls, but he's the one who killed his wife rather than trying to like help her find a way out of the curse. 
or anything like that. So It's also not clear if he really cares about his daughters or if they're just kind of pawns in like making his sympathy story more compelling for the people he wants to subjugate. Right. He does use them that way all like, the time. Why is he traveling with them if he's going into dangerous werewolf territory? But then he just sends them away and is kind of like oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, they shouldn't, they don't need to be near me. It's like, so he's not trying to keep them close by it was to protect show. them. It yeah. was very, yeah, it's very performative. My perception is he probably does care about his daughters, but he's just kind of like a broken person. He kind of died when his wife did, and now he's just this revenge thing. Yeah. So he's more of a drive than a person now. Yeah. And with the werewolf, he is mostly evil. Um, I mean, driven by just instinct, it seems. Like animalistic instincts. So. But when he's a human, he also is kind of treacherous. Yeah, which doesn't, which, which just kind of appears out of nowhere. We don't get any indication of that in the beginning of the movie. And we kind of get this idea that he's like a sociopath that's just selfish and wants to continue his lineage. Yeah, it's a hard left turn when, like, Valerie's father, who up to this point has seemed like a pretty nice, caring sweet, father. caring guy, like, a, yeah. seems like a decent husband and a good father, Yeah, and then just all of a sudden it's like, actually, I totally murdered my daughter, not da da my non-biological daughter, and, like, exacted a cruel revenge on my wife for cheating on me years ago. And then killed my daughter's soon-to-be father-in-law. Yeah. Like, and then just... my own mother. His own mother. He kills his own mother. Yeah. It really doesn't track very well. Yeah. With the character we meet at the beginning of this film. It's like the the filmmakers were trying so many ways to make us think everybody else with the werewolf because they're all acting very suspicious. And then it's like, psych, it's actually the person that there's been no suspicion placed on so far, but it doesn't track very well because he has none of the qualities until the reveal. Okay, so I have a couple of things to say about this. I think that, you know, besides being evil, I can't really say that he's misunderstood. Or stupid, really. He's more insane than stupid. Yeah. He just attacks people out of blind rage and then tries to justify it. And he keeps repeating his actions, hoping for a different result. Yeah. And it never happens and he never learns from it. So he just kind of seemed insane to me. That being said, I gotta <laughs> say, it was fun watching the movie to speculate who was the werewolf. We kept shouting. Absolutely. We kept shouting out about like, oh, they, they're doing this and that and they have brown eyes. It's got to be them. It's got to be that person. <laughs> and then we kept speculating about different characters. You know, here's, I, I, I'm just not really, just related to what you just said. Here's the crazy thing. If he wanted, if, if Cesar wanted Valerie to go with him as a werewolf, why didn't he talk to her when he was in human form? Right. Like, why do it when he's in this alien, frightening form? Why not be like, so, um, 
like just start planting the seeds early on like so honey like how do you feel about wolves like right. have you ever killed a rabbit like secretly uh, <laughs> and like not wanting anyone to know about yeah, it because if you that. did you could tell me i'm your father you could tell me <laughs> like if you want to convince somebody to do something like this you used honey yeah <laughs> you used the familiar right that makes sense. Like, you got to build up your argument, man. I think that supports my insane argument. Yeah, maybe a little stupid. Maybe. Just that he didn't think of, like, talking to her about it while in a familiar and recognizable and trusted form. Yeah. Waiting to be a wolf to, to talk to his daughter about werewolfism. Yeah. Don't wait to talk to your kids about lycanthropy. I was confused about when they could not be in the sunlight, too, by the way, because, like, not they said they couldn't be in the sunlight, but her dad was out in the sun when he was in human form. So maybe it's like, oh, they can't be in the sun when they're in wolf form. But she used sunlight to try to reveal if her grandmother was the wolf or not when her grandmother was in human form, because that's what she was. So it's like, how does that work? I get the feeling that, like, the people are just kind of spitballing the werewolf lore. And, like, they happen to be right about the church thing. Because as soon as Cesar in wolf form puts his paw on the church ground, it does burn. Yeah. But then later on, Peter is wearing a glove on his right hand. The hand that the paw would have been burnt on. Yeah. Out of nowhere to plant more seeds of doubt. I know. There's no reason for him to be wearing that glove. Can I can I just offer one quick third option for the antagonist? Though? Okay. I think maybe the real villain here is society. Okay. Because Valerie has been mistreated by this town, mistrusted. If anything, they have pushed her into a predilection towards accepting an offer like, hey, become a werewolf, eat all the people you want, and take revenge and be yourself without any rules. Yeah. So I think society's really to blame. Maybe. It really do be society, though, which we live in. We live in a society. Yeah. It's true. Oh, yeah. So it was Peter who had the gloves suddenly, right? Yeah. 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 Well, it's because he was in the oven. He was in the elephant oven, and he had to break the door. So he burned himself. Yeah, man, that's pretty impressive. That that was another, like, uh, wolf herring or red wolf yeah. herring that he was able <laughs> yeah. to break through this iron door i know yeah so i figured that's why he had the glove because he burned his hand escaping could be i mean maybe my timeline is off no, but that's I what i remember right. thinking but also yeah how the hell did he get out of there <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, know but i guess on that note fittingly we should head to the smithy Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this film after we recount an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, do you want to give this movie a rating in 1 to 10 Iron Elephants and share your epic moment or feature? Sure. I think my epic feature is how sweet and creepy that grandmother is at the same time. And she's always feeding her and she says life is better with more bread, which I agree with. And um, 
she's always trying to like make clothes for people, make food for people. She's giving them medicine and stuff. And then she's also like talking to people about how they smell and getting right in their face when she talks to them. And then she's also always wearing a fur on her back and then jump scaring her granddaughter constantly. You know, shit grandmas do. <laughs> so it's just kind of bananas. And uh, I loved it. Um, Let's see. My rating out of Iron Elephants. I'm th- gonna give this movie a... It's hard to say because it was so shitty, but also a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> These ratings are completely subjective. Yes. I'm going to say four out of ten Iron Elephants, but with a hard recommend to watch it. <laughs> it is just all over the fucking place with the storyline, and the setting is so confusing as well, and the costumes don't always make any sense, and neither do the way that people act. But... <laughs> For some reason, it's and just, that's why you recommend it. I I just really recommend you see it anyway because it's just a lot of fun to watch. It's it's like that trash that you love to see. I don't know. You know how you love that trash. Yeah, supernatural trash. It's 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 beautiful garbage. All right, that's my rating. Four out of ten. All right, very nice, Jack. Your epic moment or feature, and then your rating in one to ten Iron Elephants. All right, so my epic moment was after Peter and Valerie have their kind of roll in the hay. They're making out in the hay, and Henry sees. Yes. Henry approaches Valerie the next day, and he's kind of upset, right? Understandably, right? He thought they were going to get married. Mm Mm-hmm. And he goes up to her and he's like, I saw what you did last night. And you're worried it's just going to be the classic movie trope where he's like becomes a villain out of jealousy, right? And resentment. Yeah. And she she kind of is expecting that outcome too, where she's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And he's like, you, you clearly love Peter. I can tell, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry, Henry. And he's like, it's okay. If you want to be with him, you should. Because, uh, you know, I I don't want to marry someone who doesn't want to marry me. Yeah. And it seems like you two are really into each other. So I hope it goes well. And I hope we can be friends. I'm sorry if I stressed you out. And she's just like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) thanks, Henry. That was pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, no problem. I'll find someone who's right for me. (laughs) (laughs) He's just so nice and handles it so well. I was like, oh, Henry's the best character in so many movies. Nothing gets Henry down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Henry's like, you know what? Your love, it's its own reward. You know, go be happy. (laughs) I thought that was so great. Yeah. Awesome scene. Awesome character. Did not go the way typical movies go. I love that. I like that, too. And she gives him back his bracelet, and he takes it, which I thought was also better than the movie trope, where he would be like, keep it. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. I thought that was great. He's like, oh, thanks for the betrothal bracelet back. I'll find someone to give it to. I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah. That scene just felt so perfect. I liked that. Henry's my favorite character. (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna give the movie... Three Iron Elephants out of ten. It was so convoluted 
and like someone was writing a mystery but <laughs> but they weren't allowed to erase anything they had already done <laughs> that is such a great way to describe it so yeah so it was just so messy and like it was anachronistic in a totally fun way but it also made my brain hurt <laughs> trying to understand the world don't try to understand the world just feel it on an instinctual level like a <laughs> werewolf right that's the best way to accept what's happening yeah and uh like like Chelsea said, it's entertaining. I would recommend you give it a watch. I already want to rewatch it. <laughs> Just, but yeah, I'm going to give it three iron elephants out of ten. <laughs> what about you, Jamie? What is your epic moment and or feature and your rating one out of ten iron elephants? Well, I'm glad you asked. I mean, I think everyone already knows my epic moment is just the entire rave. We've talked about it plenty mm -hmm. i i was not sure that i was gonna be enjoying the movie very much and then that happened and i was just instantly completely invested in the rest of the film <laughs> had to know where it was going i'm pretty sure <laughs> i'm pretty sure that this is one of those cases where like there was just a script for a teenage romance yeah and then somebody said you know what we don't need to change any of the dialogue or anything. We'll just flip a few of the characters, slap it in medieval times, give it to that Twilight director. We're good to go. I want to know that now. I want to know if that's true. <laughs> Could be. Uh, and I am going to break from you guys a little bit, and I'm going to give this movie six out of ten Iron Elephants. I just nice. had such a fun time watching it. I wrote down in my notes that this is basically just a very stylized movie. It's not meant to be taken super seriously at face value. It's more about telling the story. And right. I think that if it had been, I think that if this has been in a modern setting, it actually would be better received. But I, I feel like putting it in this anachronistic setting probably turned more people off because I find that that often happens with fantasy movies. But for me, I really appreciate modern sensibilities in in an anachronistic setting like this. So I really had a great time watching it. Yes, the story is very convoluted. Some of the moments are very contrived, but it's a lot of fun. There's some cool shots. The opening of the film are some nice, probably drone or otherwise aerial shots of a gorgeous forest. There's some really cool visuals like the ridiculous spiky trees, but they don't have to mean anything in terms of like creating a coherent story as much as they are set pieces for making the world interesting and you can kind of extrapolate the meaning as the viewer and just kind of piece it together so i really appreciated that and had a very fun time it sounds like you guys had an equally fun time but i'm gonna go a little bit higher six out of ten iron elephants all right very cool we'd like to thank you all for tuning in and spending your morning slash afternoon slash evening slash late night with us <laughs> slash early morning <laughs> if you enjoyed the show maybe head on over to itunes and give us a little review to help other people find out more about us and to learn that we exist yes yeah we have a solid listening base and core group of fans but 
we could always use more people listening in, contributing and showing us their love, because we love all of you. Oh. <laughs> As always, you can also check us out on social media at Swords and Satire or join the Swords and Satire Facebook group to see our I mean, pretty pretty decent memes. I think the yeah. guy who makes those memes does a pretty good job, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and you can shoot us a comment or a question or let us know what you thought about Red Riding Hood. And, you know, maybe we'll read your comments and answer your questions on the air or just on the recording because we're not on the air. <laughs> but until next time, Hail, Hail Crumb! Crumb.